Today's episode is sponsored by Stitches Midwest. Stitches Midwest will be taking place at the Schomburg Convention Center from August 2nd through 5th, 2018. Get ready for this crafting expo, sewing, quilting, knitting, crochet, and more all under one roof. This show is for multi-crafters, those not defined by one craft or even by one medium. With stimulating classes and shopping for all, knitters, crocheters, weavers, and sewers, quilters, and others interested in all things yarn and fabric. You can learn more at stitches.events slash Midwest. Thank you so much, Stitches Midwest. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 124 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about wool and texture and embroidery with my guest, Sue Spargo. Sue is an internationally renowned designer, teacher, and textile artist. She's authored several books, including Creative Stitching, and teaches on Craftsy, as well as keeping up a rigorous travel schedule. 35 of her quilts were exhibited at the International Quilt Show in Houston in 2017 and in Chicago in 2018. Born in Zambia and raised in South Africa, Sue's work is influenced by the color, energy, and simplicity of traditional African design. Today, her business is based in Ohio, where staff that includes several of her children prepare and ship a wide range of hand-dyed and mill-dyed wools, threads, kits, notions, and patterns from SueSpargo.com. Sue Spargo, welcome. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm really excited to talk to you and hear more about your story. So I'd like to start, if I could, by asking you to describe your current business sort of as it stands now, kind of the scope of what it, it includes so people kind of get a sense of what it's like. And I know you're based in Uniontown, Ohio. So if you can kind of describe for us what your space is like and, you know, who works for you um, and kind of what you're producing, what you're selling, that would be great. All right. Well, um, we have grown quite rapidly over the last few years. And right now we're actually doubling our space um, because we now um, have quite a large um, wholesale um, business as well. So, you know, we started off with hand-dyed wool and um, embellishments and started a website about 16 years ago. And um, we moved our um, business to a, an office model about uh, six years ago where we built our own wool studio for dyeing. So we have our own dyeing on premises and um, we do a lot of kidding to go along with patterns. We also do a, a, a yearly block of the month program um, that right now we have 1,200 people on it. So it keeps us very busy every week. Um, and we also 
did a line or I did a line of um, embellishment threads a couple of years ago, which we built on. Um, and that is mainly our wholesale business now as well. That's a, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going at once. And, um, and how many employees do you have altogether? Um, I think it's uh, 11 right now. Um, we just employed a couple of new people as we're expanding. So we have three of my children that are involved. Uh, Kelly, who's office manager. Um, Jason does all the dyeing and publications. And Amy does um, a lot of the organizing and the um, retails part of the web. And she does the books. And then we have, uh, meaning the accounting. Um, and then we have... Um, people who assemble, people who ship, um, and um, people who head up the Block of the Month program. Wow, that's really a lot of people. That's a that's a really pretty big business. Um, yes. Yeah, you're quite an employer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it has grown over the last few years. And, and um, is your space kind of like a studio space, or, or is it more industrial or more like warehouse-like or a combination? It's actually a combination because right now we're building a classroom so I can hopefully stay home a little bit more and teach from home instead of traveling so much. Um, and we have a little retail store and then um, we have, we're going to have a, a sort of production side of um, ad production and, and, and then the other side is going to be separated now which is mainly our web business. So it will be for all the stock plus all the assembling of everything for the web. Okay. Wow. Okay. Right. So it is really a, a combination of probably some, some shelving areas where it's really just like back stock of, yes. yeah, like kit, kit stuff and, um, patterns and publications and things like that. Um, and then the retail stuff that's a little bit more kind of polished and nicer. Um, and then the, like the dye studio. So it's really, um, yeah, like a, a lot of different kinds of spaces all at, all at once. Yes. Okay. And that's then right. that's exciting that you're building a, a workshop space where, where students can visit you because I know you've been traveling and on the road, which is a really exciting, but also very exhausting. Yes, and I've been doing it for many years, so um, it'll be nice to maybe be home a little bit more and um, actually teach some three- and five-day classes from here. Yeah, that's great. Um, reminding me, like, maybe of Nancy Crow or somebody like that where people are coming to her. That's right, Yes. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds like a great, um, addition <laughs> to what you've got going. Um, and I, I heard you saying that you started a website. Did you say you started it 16 years ago? Yes, we did. When I first started, we started our website. Um, actually my dad is, was my mentor back then. And, um, we started right from scratch with the first book and the website. So it's been going a long time. Yeah. Uh, it has built, um, quite a large business now for us. Yeah, that just seems like really early on the web because here we are in 2018. So that seems like maybe you've been on the web since 2002. That's right. Yes. Yeah, yes. that because I've, I started my website in 2005. And um, that felt like kind of early on the web, um, you know, and Etsy launched in 2005. And I remember when it launched feeling like, oh my gosh, this is great because now 
I can sell my goods online without knowing how to code. Um, because that was, for me, that was such a big obstacle was having to set up e-commerce. Um, it was really hard back then. So you must've had, I mean, that you, you, you were able to overcome that obstacle, uh, somehow. (laughs) Yes. You mean setting it up and getting it up and running? Yeah. Yes, uh, and we're actually on going to be on our third website. We're having a brand new one uh, built right now for us. So it's changed a lot what webs can you know what websites can do and what is needed. I guess as you grow as well. That's great. And so, what is what do you know what the platform is for the new website? Like what it's going to be built on? No, I don't actually. My okay. daughter, my daughter Kelly's heading it up, but they okay. told us it'll take about eighteen months to build it. So it's going built from scratch. Wow. Uh, Okay. So yeah, yeah. And so that's coming soon. Uh, yes, probably about another year before we'll actually have that. But it's I'm, in the works. Yeah, I'm assuming it's a whole lot of work at this point to move everything over, just because you have so much product and so much content. That's correct. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> so many years of um, of stuff to move. Okay. Yeah, but you were really early in that space, which is interesting to think about. So, um, okay. So, uh, so you you do spend quite a bit of time on the road. Do you do you have like a, an estimate of like how much time right now in in the last couple of years in, in sort of a given month or a given year you're actually out teaching? Gosh, it's it's a lot. I'm I'm sure it's about ninety five percent of my time. I'm gone most of the time. Wow. Um, so yeah, I just got back late last night. So um, it is time to to um, spend a bit more time at home. So yeah. I love it, but it's it's you know travel has changed. It's quite exhausting. So. It will be nice. Yeah. And you go all over. It's not just, I mean, you go all over the United States, but do you also go all over the world? Yes. Yeah, I do travel abroad. Um, actually, normally quite a few times a year. So this year I'm going to a festival of courts in Birmingham, into Barcelona in a couple of weeks. Um, and I do a couple of cruises and I teach in Italy every couple of years. So... Um, Those are nice places to visit, especially if I haven't been before, because I do enjoy that part um, of seeing and being inspired by new new locations. Right. Okay. So yeah, but it's but it is um, definitely a lot. And you're now in your late fifties, is that right? That's correct. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I want to go back now and trace how you got to this point, because I think um, any listener can hear that um, you've got like a really impressive business and a really impressive career. Um, It incorporates your family um, and your art and, um, and you're your own boss, you know, you've, you've built an incredible thing going here. So, um, so as we mentioned in the introduction, you were born in Zambia, um, but your parents were originally from England. And I'm wondering why they decided to move to Africa before you were born. Well, it's my dad. I think he um, was a bit disgruntled with the English uh, economy and what was going on, I think, back in the early 50s. And so he always tells me that he uh, opened the newspaper, looked 
what jobs were available, saw this job in Africa, went for an interview, and 20 minutes later he had it. So they, my mom and him packed up and went to the bush in Zambia. Um, very different environment, but they loved it. And then um, before Zambia got independence, they moved to South Africa. So um, that's really where I grew up until my early 30s when I left South Africa. Okay. And what ki- I know he was really artistic. What kind of work was it that he was brought to Zambia and then to South Africa? What kind of work was he doing? He actually was a labor officer who worked between the um, laborers in the bush and the government. Um, but when he moved to South Africa, he got into um, uh, business management. So he eventually had his own company um, doing training, management training for big organizations. Okay, so I'm guessing that his artistic work was done on the side then. Yes, yes. He always um, loved uh, to draw and paint, and um, and he always um, you know, made sure that my sister and I did a fair amount of that as we grew up as well. Okay, and this is your sister who later did some work with you in your business too. Yes, she's actually started off the dyeing of the wool um, and did it for many years, and she retired about five years ago. Okay. All right. So you just have that one sibling? That's right, yeah. Okay. Okay, great. And so you did sew and knit from the time that you were young, making Barbie clothes, which so many of us um, did. I feel like Barbie is like the muse of so much, yes. so much sewing. Um, I actually wrote a, an article for Sew News Magazine about how Barbie is like the muse for sewing for so many children. But um, uh, and also, um, you know, you made a quilt in in high school. So you were, you know, you were doing handicrafts, um, you know, as a young as a young person, um, and took some art classes. But, um, but you, am I right to say that you your training really was to become a nurse? Yes, that's right. Um, that's what I did for many years. Um, until we actually moved to the United States. Um, and I had been out of it for quite some time. So I, I didn't go back into it. Okay, so when you, so you met your, did you meet your husband when you were in South Africa or? Yes, yes, that's correct. Okay, and then you moved to the United States, maybe for some some more stability, lifestyle stability? That's right. Okay, Um, and then, um, and then when you got here, um, didn't get like your nurse, I'm assuming probably once you got here, you would have to get certification for nursing here, (laughs) which would have been quite a process. And and so you didn't do that. Um, And you you have four children, so that's a whole job in and of itself. (laughs) Um, I have three children, so I can relate. Um, And and so was that sort of the opening then to pursue art? Yes. Um, You know, I've lived in four different states, but when I was in the third state, I actually started to do a little bit of designing. I'd worked at a quilt store there, um, and I uh, took a class from Jan Paddock, who's, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she does a lot, she's a primitive artist. And um, after that, she asked me to um, do a quilt for one of her books. And so I did work with her for about three years before I started my own business. So I always felt like she was a good mentor. I got to understand the quilt business and what what was out there at the time um, before I actually went out on my own. 
Okay. So you kind of got a little bit of maybe mentorship or an That's intro- right. like an introduction to what was maybe possible in the industry or something like that. Yes, that's right. And I was writing some of the books. I had a little bit of that experience as well. Okay. And, and you met her just by teaching, not by teaching, but by taking one of her classes. That's right. Yep. Okay. All right. And she saw in you some talent and possibility. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she must have. <laughs> okay. Um, and then um, and then you started to to do your own. So what was your first sort of foray into doing something independent from her? Well, you know, I'd always loved texture. So um, I started with, I think it was eight just individual patterns, which were mainly um, like totes or purses and needle cases. Um, and I used a combination of um, fabrics like cottons and upholstery fabric and a little bit of wool. Um, and that's sort of how I started. I really didn't know what I was going to do, um, but I just knew that I had made one tiny little wool quilt in the very last book I did with her, and I just became fascinated with working with wool, um, and that's how it started. So I just then I did a first my first block of the month, and when I was doing that, I was thinking, you know, I like to teach people new things. Um, so I. Um, having never done embroidery even as a child, but I thought, well, I'll put one or two embroidery stitches on this quilt and then it'll add something new for me to um, introduce people to. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the embroidery and the layering. Um, So it it all just sort of evolved. Okay. And so (sighs) you were teaching and the teaching, was that just out of your home? I did a bit, and then I started to travel. Back then, I was starting to travel to um, teach into different stores and guilds, and um, yeah. So that even back then, okay. when I started, yeah, yeah. So, like the block of the month, that was a block that you designed, and I did it on my website. I do one every year on my website, but that was back then that the first one started. I see. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so this was, um, I'm just trying to place in time when this was about, like these very beginning patterns and this very beginning. It was about 15 years okay. that I, when I started on my own, yeah. Okay, all right, I see. So so really the kind of um, essence of SueSpargo.com is really sort of stayed the same, kind of this idea of wool and embroidery, texture, block of the month. Um, these sorts of ideas are sort of the sort of essence of it is the same today, even if lots of other things have kind of changed around it. Yes, that's right. It's it. Um, yep. It's, yeah. 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 It's just the the embroidery part and the layering just became um, much more part of it as I taught myself more and um, you know it just became fascinated with how it changed this applique. So now I do a lot more of that um, on the new quilts that I do now. And what was it about wool? I mean, I feel like wool is really, really important to this story. Um, I'm wondering whether other people were working with wool and quilts or whether that was somehow novel or, or really different yeah. from what else was out there on the market. I have no sense of, of whether 
of how new or how different that made what you were doing in comparison to what other people were doing at that time? Well, I think what I was more known for was that everyone was working in really dark primitive colors. Okay. And they were doing like penny rug type things. And I was really the first person who introduced the brighter wool colors because my sister was dying for me um, back then. So um, we were able to do really nice colors. And even today, they're brighter than they were back then, but they were much brighter than what was offered in the, in the market. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Stitches Midwest. Stitches Midwest will be taking place at the Schomburg Convention Center from August 2nd through 5th, 2018. So get ready for an incredible crafting expo, knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, and more all under one roof. This show is for multi-crafters, those not defined by one craft or even by one medium. There are stimulating classes, events, and shopping for all, knitters, crocheters, weavers, and sewers, quilters, and others interested in all things yarn and fabric. Stitches Expos are considered the place to be by all in-the-know knitters and crocheters, and now they're inviting everyone who loves to quilt, sew, embroider, or embellish. This exciting four-day event includes Stitches Market with a wide variety of vendors offering the latest yarn, fabric, crafting supplies, book signings, and new crafters playground with free demonstrations and opportunities to try equipment and learn new techniques. More than 130 different intensive classes and over 20 market sessions for multi-crafters of all levels, covering a variety of related topics and taught by expert designers and industry stars. Classes range in duration from 90 minutes to six hours. The expert instructors include Stephen B., Franklin Habit, Laura Bryant, Michelle Hunter, Ebony Love, Patty Lyons, Zandy Peters, Catherine Redford, Natalie Redding, Jennifer Sternheisman, Marley Bird, Katrina Walker, and Anna Zilberg, just to name a few. Other special events include professional fabric shows, banquets, a pajama party, giveaways, and more. Fiber artists of all ages experience sensory overload in the stitches market. Mountains of beautiful yarn, fabrics, books, patterns, buttons, supplies, and gadgets of all kinds give eager shoppers exactly what they're searching for. Colors and textures to suit every style are found on the market floor. Exhibitors travel from all corners of the nation to introduce their products to the frenzy of crafters. And exclusively for Walshy Naps listeners, you can get 20% off Stitches Midwest 2018 classes and events by visiting stitches.events Midwest and entering the coupon code Midwest18WSN. That's Midwest18WSN at checkout. 
So make sure you go and enter that coupon code for 20% off on classes and events, and you'll get um, access to stimulating classes and shopping for everyone, knitters, crocheters, weavers, and sewers and quilters, and everyone interested in all things yarn and fabric. So you are not going to want to miss this amazing show. Learn more at stitches.events Midwest, and we hope to see you at Stitches Midwest 2018. Thank you so much, Stitches Midwest. And how did you and your sister, and, and remind me what your sister's name is. Wendy. Wendy. Okay. So mm-hmm. how did you and Wendy um, first realize that you could dye wool? Was there a workshop that you took or was there a way that you became introduced to the idea that, hey, we don't have to rely on sort of maybe these darker or more muted wool colors that are on the commercial market. We could dye this wool and make our own colors. Well, she is... Um always she loves to experiment and figure things out so back in the early days when we started the website she she said would you like me to dye some wool for you and i said yeah that'd be great so um she did this lovely palette of colors and sent them to me because she lives in spokane washington and when i received them you know she said why don't we start with 12 colors um and they were so cool that I chose 37 and so that's how we started with 37 colors of wool Um, and they were much brighter than anything that was out there Um, and from there we built you know the palette today to you know many hundreds of colors but um, that's how it started. I see. Yeah, and, she, and then she, we would die for our block of the month program, which is a big program we do. We've always hand dyed all the wools for it. Um, okay, and so when you showed those to people through, I'm assuming at that time it was mostly through in-person workshops and teaching and kits and things like that, and you would show the block of the month and, and things like that to people, what was their reaction? I mean, this was probably quite different from anything that they had seen before. Yes, it was. And and what I would hear a lot like from quilt stores is, oh, I love it, but no, we don't do wool. <laughs> so it wasn't, um, I mean, it didn't just take off automatically. It, it took many years to build it um, because they, you know, it was very new to quilt stores, even though people who had been doing hooked rugs used wool um, for, for a long time. Um, and, you know, I'd have students say, oh, I'm not going to collect something else. And then after a couple of months, they'd come back and say, oh, yeah, their wool stash was now expanding. They love to work with it. So it's something about the texture and the feel in your hands that is no other fabric um, gives you that satisfaction. The same for handwork. Um, yeah, and I will say, so I work with wool because I sew stuffed animals. So it's a different, uh, <laughs> it's a different application. But um, I also think it's really forgiving, right? Oh, so yeah. like, mm-hmm. there's something about cotton that's really unforgiving. So that when you um, have a stitch that's slightly out of place or something doesn't line up 100, it's so obvious. Whereas, yes. am I am I right to say, like with wool, if something's slightly not perfect? It like gets buried a little bit, or it does, or you can steam it a little bit and <laughs> you can put it back into place. Um, 
But it also, I think the depth of it for what I do is what is so cool because you could never do the stitching on cotton and get the um, depth and uh, texture that you get when you lay layers of wool and stitch around them. Because um, a lot of people ask me if my quilts are trapanto because they look like I've stuffed everything underneath. Um, and it's not. It's a combination of, I, you know, I don't ever use a fusible on wool. Um, and it's layers of wool and layers of stitching that make them have so much dimension, which cotton would not, uh, you know, that you'd have that. Yeah. And I think about like Mimi Kirshner, who's been a guest on my show. I don't know if you know her work, but she makes, mm -hmm. yeah, beautiful wool dolls that have embroidery as well. And um, you just get that beautiful. It's a, it is, it's really a beautiful three-dimensional effect that you can get with stitching on wool that you can't get elsewhere. Um, and you can do so much other kind of embellishment because it's got heft to it. So yes. you can add other things to it. You can add beading. You can add ribbon. It can take more. That's right. That's right. And the more, the better sometimes. <laughs> right. It can stand up to it because it's mm -hmm. got that weight to it. Um, so it can hold it. You know, it can hold more um, on yes. it, which is really lovely. So so anyway, but what you were saying, it's a, it was a hard sell both to customers and to retailers because it was yes. different. And so it's, you know, it's also not inexpensive. Um, well, I was going to say that and costly, you know, until you get into it and you get used to what you pay um, for wool, it, it is a, a much more expensive hobby. Yeah. Yeah, because um, I was looking at some of the pricing of, you know, like an average Suspargo kit, well, mm -hmm. like for a um, a quilt, a quilt kit. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, it's in the $500, $600 yes. range for, you know, all of the materials and the pattern. And, you know, you're buying wool. It's, it's not inexpensive. It's like That's buying, right. you know, it's like if you wanted to buy wool to knit a sweater, you know, if you're buying fine wool, it's expensive. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about um, introducing those hand dyes for sale. So your sister, Wendy, made you the hand dyes for you to use, but then it's a whole nother thing to decide to start to sell those hand dyes because then you need to be able to scale up production. You need to have a formula to be able to reproduce the exact color over and over and over again. And you need to be able to source the, the raw material um, at cost and yes. have a, a dedicated studio space to be able to produce, cut, package, ship, all of that kind of thing. So um, to talk a little bit about sort of getting ready back in those days to um, – to to create that as a product. I'm assuming that the hand dyes were sort of the first physical product maybe, or maybe patterns was the first one and then the hand dyes. Yeah, it, it, well, it was in the early days, but the demand was much less than it is today as well. Um, but you're right, you had, you know, we had to have formulas that were consistent because when you're producing a product that you want to reproduce, you have to be very accurate. Um, we had to, um, I mean, at that time, she she built um, a dye studio at her place um, in Spokane. And since then, we've now built a dye studio here in Ohio. Um, but you have to have, um, you know, easily accessible um, burners that you can do large 
quantities on or fairly large quantities. Um, we actually started with um, three yard cuts or that we did. Now we're up to parts that will do six yards at a time. So it's a lot of production to do large amounts of, of wool. Um, and then we wanted a consistent source for wool. Um, and in the early days, we tried many, and there was not that much available. And there still isn't today many people that you can get a, a consistent source from. Um, and we eventually, after trying multiple ones, we uh, found a mill here in the United States, and they've always milled our wool for us. So it is a local wool that we use uh, and very, very high quality. So um, that's what we love about it. Okay, great. And so you were able to find that wool after lots of sourcing and mm -hmm. build the studio um, and then move the studio to where you are locally um, yes. and be able to produce that consistently. And that was, um, those hand-dyed wools were your first sort of wool project product, but now you also have mill-dyed wools um, in yes. addition to the hand-dyed wools. And I wondered if you could tell us what the difference is between those and why you expanded to including both types. Okay, well, I uh, collaborate with um, Andrew from Wonderful, who's, you know, we do my threads with him. Wonderful. Um, and Wonderful he, is um, a company that creates um, threads, um, right? Yes, and it was mainly machine threads until I joined up with him, and now we have hand threads um, and then the mill dyed wool. And what we found, um, and especially um, Andrew found that in Europe, particularly there was no uh, consistent source for wool. Um, and also in the United States, there are people hand dyeing, but I would always hear from stores that there was no consistent, um, easily readily available wool. Um, you know, it was always on back order and they could never get it or they'd order something and it wasn't the right color. Um, so we saw an opening for a consistent um, palette of colors um, and we also because I applicate with wool thread um, we decided to do which I sort of saying is 60 colors to dye for we would do the 60 colors of mill dyed wool with, and the 60 colors of cotton and the wool thread to match um, so there is no other product on the market where the wool and the applique thread matches um, except for our mill dyes and nylon and there are also our hand dyed colors so some people like hand dyed some dyed mill dyed but I think the beauty of the mill dyed is that it comes we have it in a quantity that stores can kit readily with it they can have it to match the wool threads which is a big plus um, it's also a larger cut than a hand-dyed piece of wool because of um, it comes on a, you know, when you, with hand dyes, you cut your yard, you dye it, and then you cut it up. And so it shrinks in the dye process, whereas the mill dyed is a proper 36-inch piece. Um, and it's a really, really beautiful soft merino wool. So it's, um, I think, there's other products on the market that are mill dyed, but I have not found a wool that is as soft and um, as nice to work with as others that are on the bolt. Okay, so is it less expensive then than hand dyed? 
It's a little, yes, it is a little bit less expensive, but it also, like I said, the cut is larger. So a quarter yard is quite a bit bigger than a fat, like a fat quarter of hand-eyed wool. Okay. So, so there's two advantages. It's, it's a little less, but it's, um, it's larger too. Right, because it doesn't shrink. And, um, in the dyeing process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and were you at all concerned about it kind of cutting into your hand-dyed wool um, market? In other words, I think there would be some people who would say, well, I hand-dye and that's what I do. And I don't want to work with a, a larger company to make this more commercialized product because it's going to cut into my customer base for my hand-dyes. You know, not really because... Um I think people who love hand eyes will always use hand eyes. But what this product also um, opened up was it's sort of a modern looking wool because it's it's very vibrant. Um, some people don't like modeled wool. Um, and I, I'm actually not a lover of modeled wool myself. I've always used more of a solid dye um, color anyway. But I think it, the stores have liked it because it has – more of a contemporary look to it than um, other walls that are out there. Mm, I like that idea that it's really good for modern, maybe modern quilters or people who want a more modern design um, because it's so solid. Um, That's Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, that's really cool. And, um, and I think I I heard a story that, um, so your, your collaboration with Wonderful um, happened at Quilt Market. Um, You were there and you were approached, is it Andrew, the person? Okay. That you, um, that you know at Wonderful or that first made the connection. Um, and, and at first, um, you weren't so hot on, <laughs> on working with them. Am I right? Like, um, yeah, it, it wasn't really working that working with him other than I was sort of quite happy just doing my own thing with other people's threads. Um, but it was an interesting thing because for about two or three years, he would approach me at market and say, you know, I really want to do this. And I said, no, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with what I'm using. Um, and then, when I eventually said, all right, I'll talk to you about this. Um, the very first thing I said to him was if, and the other thing is because I'm self-taught, I was teaching myself to stitch, teaching myself about threads. So it was a long process to actually understand what was out there and what different types of threads or different ways threads were dyed, how they stitched up. The one thing I had discovered after stitching for quite a while is that all the threads I was working with in the market had very long variegations. And so I I didn't really like what was happening once I understood that. Um, And I just want to clarify for people who don't understand what we're talking about when it comes to variegation. So a variegated thread is a thread that changes color over the course Mm -hmm. of of maybe half a yard or something like that. Yes, and that's right. Most of them are 18 inches. So I would stitch around a leaf and it would all be one color and maybe the last bullion knot was another color. Um, And I I just thought, oh, well, this is how it worked. So it didn't really worry me. But until I started to understand that, and the first thing I said to him was, well, can you do a short variegated thread he said of course two to three inches and that was like wow okay Um, right and and the positive thing about having a short variegation is that when you are doing something like embroidery you're going to get that change in color really quick so you're going to get a more kind of a lot of more vibrancy or activity in the stitching because you're going to go from light green to dark green to light green dark green real quick 
That's right. And some stitches you can actually plan. You know, if I do so many cast-ons in this stitch or so many, you can have the tops of them one color and the bottoms the other color. So it was very exciting. Um, and the other thing I love about his production of threads is that he starts his thread from scratch. So he actually makes the threads. Not all companies do that. They just die ready-made thread. Um, so I was able to get exactly the types of threads that I wanted with exactly the set right feel and twist that I wanted um, because he made the threads. Um, and uh, my daughter Kelly and I actually colored the whole line. Um, so we there was just no question about everything was what we had given him. Um, and he was very quick and on it. So, you know, within a couple of, you know, probably three or four months, the whole line was ready to go. Um, so he was amazing to work with from that, that point of view. Um, and we've just expanded the thread line since then because it's been, it's been so well received in the market. And so by working with you, who understood something like the need for a short variegation, he mm -hmm. benefited because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe he didn't know before or maybe none of the thread, I don't know, but maybe none of the thread manufacturers realized before that a short variegation was a good idea. But by working with somebody who works with thread every day as an artist, they, that you were able to see wouldn't this be cool to be able to have something like this, a short variegation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so like the benefit of somebody who works with the material every day is that you you, you under, better understand how it's actually used in an, a day-to-day -day application. Yes, you're right. And the fact that he was open to trying exactly what I wanted, um, which was really wonderful because he had he didn't really have any threads in the hand stitching market. He, he's very well known for his machine threads, um, but he saw this opening and he want, He said he didn't want anyone but me to do the line. So that's why he was sort of persistent until I, I said, all right, I'll talk to you. And did he just discover you when he said he only wanted you to do it? Is it just that he saw you at Quilt Market? I mean, how, do you know how he found you? Um I would imagine it was through Quilt Market. I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Actually, now you ask. Um, but I think also he had seen my work because he, you know, he, he travels all around the world with his threads and he had seen my work in other countries, like especially Australia. So that could have also been um, where he was introduced to my work. Okay. And can you talk a little bit about why um, you wanted wool thread for wool um, fabric? Oh, Abby, I've always used wool thread um, from day one, um, but I used other people's wool thread. Uh, the what, But what we were doing at that point is we were dyeing our wool to match the thread. And so that is a little bit more difficult than... Um, having thread dyed for us once we you know got our wool dyed uh so i've always used a wool thread and the reason i use it is that and it's actually a wool acrylic blend so it's not 100 percent wool because that's not strong enough to hand stitch with um, but with the acrylic in it gives it the strength 
because when I stitch my wool applique down, I want to do the tiniest, most invisible stitch I can. So um, because our wool also felts up really nice and tight, I can do a little stitch that is about an eighth of an inch deep and an eighth of an inch over, and then I match the wool thread as perfectly as I can to the color of the wool I'm applicating down. So it's really quite invisible because I don't want it to fight with the embroidery stitches that I'm going to put around afterwards. I see. And so by so, having it be exactly the same, almost exactly the same makeup as far mm-hmm. as um, fiber is concerned right. and the same color as far as dye is concerned, then it, it does almost disappear. That's right. And that's what my goal is, because uh, I want the embroidery stitches to be what shows around the edge. Got it. Okay. I think that's helpful for people to to understand. And the same thing with the cotton, the cotton yes. threads. Because I do, I do use a lot of cotton as layering on my pieces or velvets, different textures like that. So that's what I use my cotton threads for. Okay. All right, great. Um, so I think that yeah, that that, that um, uh, the collaboration I think is really important and um, has I think become a really important part of your business, and I'm imagining is a really important part of Wonderful's business as well. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's neat to think about ways to collaborate together with other businesses where both of you grow and both of you bring something that the other couldn't couldn't come to on their own. Um, That's exactly right. So it's been a great great uh collaboration for me um and i for him as well i think yeah mm-hmm, absolutely um okay so i i know you know we talked earlier about um kelly uh, being the office manager your daughter and jason who's taking over um dying from wendy um and doing um the graphics and things and amy your your daughter um, doing the accounting um, for the business. And, um, and I'm wondering if you have, uh, some thoughts about how to run a business with family. Um, because I know, you know, it can go bad. Um, there are plenty of stories of people who bring family members into a business and it, it ruins things. Either it ruins things for the business or it ruins things for the relationship with their family um, or both. I mean, it can it can be very hard. And um, it sounds to me like you've you've really made it work um, in, a, in a way that's been positive. So I'm guessing you've got some tips or some some lessons learned over the years that maybe you could share um, about having a successful family business. Yes, and and you know not not every every day or even in the early days was it um, smooth sailing. You know, it, it as you say, it is hard to have family. But I think some of the important things for me was that not one of uh, my children ever has felt or felt that they could not get out of the business if they wanted to get out of it. They all came in in different ways, um, but they're not stuck here. So I think that's a good thing to know. So they want to be here. They want to do a good job. They respect what I've done and and built, and so they are 110% um, in, in the business. The other thing is that we really try to communicate um, and leave doors open so that um, we can work things out that you know we we may have different views about. Um, 
They also, all three of them are in totally different departments, which I think has helped my children so that they're overseeing a different department. Um, and, um, you know, they are accountable for that, that part of uh, their involvement. Um, you know, and I guess we, we, the other thing is that um, we choose our battles, you know, because um, two of them are quite headstrong. And so, you know, sometimes it's, uh, they'll um, want to win on, on certain, certain things. And sometimes they're just not even worth fighting about, you know. So you, you, you learn which are the things that are important to, uh, I guess, um, push um, your point on. Uh, and the other thing I was going to say is that um, I really trust them. And I think that that is very important because because I'm on the road so much, they really run the web business. Um, you know, I have my little bit of input when I come back and forth, but they have, they really do run it. Um, and, um, you know, so they are accountable for the end results of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, do they do any, I mean, you're doing the designing though, right? Like you're the, am I correct in saying like yes. you're sort of the creative, um, uh, I don't know, you're doing like the, the creative, you're the creative mind. I am. And, um, you know, that has always been a concern for me because, you know, when I decide not to do it anymore or can't do it anymore, then what happens? Um, so my girls do a little bit of stitching, but they're so involved in what they do here right now, it hasn't really opened an avenue for them to um, get very involved with that. Um, so I'm hoping with more staff we may open that a little bit. Um, but that is one of the reasons that I um, decided to collaborate with Andrew was that I would never have done this whole wholesale business if it was just me. Uh, but because I knew that the three of them were committed to the business, um, I took on this wholesale business to build them a base um, well, maybe one day when I, I'm not designing and if the designing part of it is not as prevalent um, in the business. Right. Okay. And so um, the wholesale business, the wholesale piece of it being the threads, is that yes. in the in the mill dyed wools? That's the, the yeah. wholesale piece of it. Mm -hmm. And we do wholesale even hand dyes and hand dyed velvet um, uh, kits, you know, different things like that as well. Okay. So there is a section of that that we hold so okay right I see what you're saying and you know you never know down the road you you may end up meeting somebody or connecting with somebody whose creative output just seems to complement yours yes. um you know mm -hmm. and as time goes by becomes a creative partner um you know and and is able to sort of help to supplement or even later on, you know, sort of much later on, um, become the successor of the creative mind part of it, you know, that's right. you just don't right. know, you know, yeah. life goes in different directions. And if you're open to that idea, sometimes that openness leads to the right person. That's so right. It could yeah. happen. <laughs> no, you're right. Well, one of my daughters really decides that they, they really would like to, to continue. So yeah, we'll see. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. It could happen. So I want to talk a little bit about your book, Creative Stitching. So um, this came out in 2012. So you'd already had this business for quite some time before writing a book. Um, sometimes people write a book really early on, and that's the sort of the launching point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had already been doing this for quite a while before writing a book, which is interesting. And I wondered sort of what you felt like was important about that book for you. Okay, so, um, you know, as I taught myself embroidery, it was a very gradual thing over many, many years um, before I actually even felt confident or I had a following that were doing it. Um, And I had never intended to write an embroidery book because I was using lots of other people's embroidery books. But what I started to hear from my students was, oh, gosh, a lot of these embroidery books have so many stitches, I don't know where to start. Um, none of the embroidery books either were related to doing um, embroidery on applique, um, and they were not really talking about the types of threads I was using, um, or even the needles. Very few embroidery books actually have a good section on what needles to use. Um, so I did a quilt called Imperial Blooms um, that was probably a year or two before creative stitching. and. Every year I do the block of the month, I have a goal to teach myself something new or some some technique, and I often use that through the block of the month to um, sort of feel my way through it as I'm, I'm doing that year's program. And so that year I decided this was – now I was ready to teach embroidery. And so I taught like four stitches every month, which ended up with 36 stitches, and um, we did all the graphics for them. And um, after I'd finished that, it was like, wow, this this would be a good little book because it would, if we put 50 stitches in it, it would be very usable. It would be very easy for people to follow. Um, and so that's how it was born. So my dad and I wrote the first book, and um, it was it's so successful. I just never imagined it would be that successful. It was so successful. We did many, many printings of it. Um, and then in the meantime, from the first book to the second book, um, I had then taught myself about using heavy threads. Um, and so instead of only using a size up to a size eight pearl cotton with the first book, now I was using, you know, threes and fives and uh, heavy cordings and things like that. So the needles and the threads were totally out of date. And I had also learned how to do this, to, to explain the stitches better. So we redid the whole of the book. Um, I think it was last year from beginning to end, all the diagrams, all the photography. And then I added 20 new stitches to the second edition. Wow. So that, and the book is um, self-published. Yes, we self-publish um, all our patent books and patents and yeah 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 which again like you were really early in self-publishing as well like I feel like yeah um yes yeah that's amazing yeah and and I'll just tell this little story because this is how when you really feel happy that your kids are involved and they really into it. Jason redid the whole of the second book because my dad had retired from um, doing that part of our business. And um, one day I went into um, his studio where he was doing all the graphics and 
I saw him with a piece of uh, wool and thread, and he had tried to teach himself every single stitch in that book. Wow. So he knew exactly where the thread should lie under the needle on top. So it was a really great moment for me to think, wow, he's really committed to this. Yeah, um, and yeah. he did a fabulous job with it. Right, because yeah. there's all of these diagrams, like whipped running stitch, and it has yes. like a leaf and it has, you know, a running stitch going across the leaf. And then it has the thread that goes um, through that running stitch that whips through That's it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> and then, you know, the directions next to it to tell you how to do it. And then a bunch of examples showing it in different colors. And so he sat there and, and sort of made made it to see whether he could follow the diagram and the instructions i see that's right uh-huh. yes wow yeah that's dedication for sure yes. <laughs> uh-huh yeah so um that that's yeah that's pretty amazing um and and so you you don't sell your finished quilts you don't sell your work and i'm i'm interested in um in that decision to not sell it to not you know sell you you've made a lot of quilts i'm sure you've got tons of them mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and they must be stacked up uh, around you. And I'm wondering why you decided to not sell them. Well, I think, um, first of all, you know, when I started, I was uh, doing patterns and books for the samples, you know, with the sample that I'd done. So it was always nice to have the sample for teaching and to, sh- you know, for trunk shows and things like that. Um, and then, you know, as the as the quilts got more and more involved, because you know the early quilts had no stitching, now they are covered in stitching. Um, the process for me to make one is um, it takes well, some of them take me a year or more to do, and um, I think they just become so much part of you. They're all really little story quilts of my life. Um, so I, you know, I really. I make quilts because I love the process and I love the creativity. Um, I don't generally make something either because I feel like there's nothing in the market like it. I just do what comes from my heart. And so I'm very sort of attached to them and I feel like they they just, they're there for my children one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have the urge to, to make them to sell. Um, it's just, it's more about, what I put into them and um, yeah they, they remind me of certain times of my life and so I never went that route of selling quilts and in fact they had never really been displayed until they were displayed in Houston um, as a grouping either um, they just just here for teaching and sharing and what was that like to have them displayed then for the first time I mean it must have been really different than to have them all together in Houston in one place if they really haven't been displayed like that before? Oh, I was really honored when they came to me to ask me to if I would um, submit them to be displayed. Um, and it, it was really nice to see them all together um, because, yeah, there is, they definitely have evolved. Uh, you know, a lot of people say to me, don't you want to go back and redo that one and put more stitches on? And it's like, no, <laughs> you can see the evolution of how, how you as a, a creator or as an artist, how you, your work changes and, um, you know, what I was doing at certain times of my life. Um, so it, 
it was it was really nice to be able to share them. Yeah, you know, and I think maybe at that moment, feeling like it was a good decision to not part with them, you know, and yes. and mm-hmm. also the feeling that you have been able to make a living and support your family and have a career, a fulfilling career. I'm imagining, you know, both in a personal way and also a financially fulfilling career um, in the quilting industry, in the textile industry, as an artist, um, doing this work, but without having to sell them. Um, You know, in other words, you didn't have to sell the originals, but you were still able to sell your work in another way. Yes, that's right. Um, and then be able to share share what I had learned, um, especially with my students. Um, and I know it's brought a lot of joy to a lot of them. And I've built wonderful relationships. Uh, you know, students have taken uh, classes with me, some of them for 10 years, and it's been so amazing to see their own work evolve um, through through teaching them to be creative and to take chances. So it's been, uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience for me. And I wondered if you could talk just a little bit. I know a lot of listeners, they really want to become teachers who are sought after. Um, That's a goal a lot of people have, um, not just to teach locally at a guild, um, at their, you know, local guild or their local shop, but to expand that into teaching regionally um, and even into teaching, you know, nationally or, or internationally and becoming a, a teacher who's sought after. And you've managed to do that. And I wondered what you felt like sort of the secret sauce is. Like, what did you feel like was the ticket to becoming somebody who had something uh, that w- w- you were able to offer you know, that um, was sought after in that way? Well, um, gosh, I think um, just as a, an artist, um, it's, it's actually, I think, hard to find a niche that hasn't been explored. Um, but I would say, you know, if you, if you have, even to my students, if you think of something or have an opening to try something um, don't ever hesitate not to you know you need to push yourself to move forward and try different things um, because you never know by trying or maybe lots of different techniques or something where you might something might just uh, spark um, an interest that you feel like this could be it that you could explore it Um, I also as a teacher, have always shared my knowledge. I mean, I don't feel like I own that I have to keep things, you know, from from my students. So I've always been very open to share whatever I have um, worked with and techniques I've tried. And um, but I also have pushed them to be creative. You know, I I always say to them, you know, this is my quilt. You could take my idea and I'm happy, you know, for them to uh, explore their own ideas um, in the same sort of idea. So it's pushed them to be creative. And many of my students will say, you know, I never knew that I could do this or I could I could make decisions or I could. Um, so I think it's always just moving out of your comfort zone. Um, 
and then then be prepared to share um, your knowledge. Um, and you know, students will come back for more. Then if they don't feel threatened in a in a in a class as well. Yeah, and I think there are it, it it can sometimes feel hard um if you have developed something that's a real signature technique in your own work mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. let that go and give it to students. Um yeah. because that's the thing you're known for in your mm-hmm. own work. And um I know that I, I've spoken with teachers in the past who said, Well, that's I don't share that. Um, I, I don't ever teach that technique because that one's mine. Um, and it's an interesting decision to make to say, well, the, I don't teach that technique, even though that's the one technique you're known for. <laughs> that's right. That's um, right. But you've made the decision to share it all and um, and then empower students to sort of develop their own signature technique as well. Um, so I, I, to me, that seems like the right decision, but obviously each person is, is um you know, empowered to make uh-huh. them, but that's right. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. but also I think as a designer and a teacher, you always have to be on to the next thing. You know, you can't just sit back and say, well, "This is it." You know, this is what I teach because everyone's watching, and um, you know, soon that that technique or whatever you're doing, um, you know, spreads and everyone does it. So it's, I think that's been the key for me as I just keep evolving. Um, you know, every time I teach the same students, I always have new things to share with them. So, yeah, it sounds like your block of the month has been a really good um, uh, challenge tool for yourself where you say to yourself, well, each time I do one of these, I'm going to challenge myself to learn something new along the way. So um, I like th- I love that idea that it's not just like I'm going to do this and be kind of bored with it, but it's like I'm going to use this as an opportunity to learn embroidery. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to teach myself something new that keeps you excited about it too. That's right. Oh yes. And that, that definitely, um, yeah, it keeps you moving forward and, and, um, really, like I always say, 110% of the project because I'm so passionate about it at the time that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, all right, I want to make sure we get to your recommendations. And you have a couple of good ones. Um, first, you were, um, I, I found out interesting that you like to knit. Um, and I always think it's interesting when people have built a career around doing something that they love to do. A lot of times in their spare time, they do something um, different. <laughs> so you bought a book called Japanese Stitches Unraveled by Wendy Bernard. And mm-hmm. it's like a textural, still with texture, but it's a knitting book. Uh-huh. And I, I actually haven't even started working with it. I just bought it recently. It's a new book, um, but it, I'm very excited because um, I I love texture in any way, so it'll be really wonderful to try these patterns, uh, knitting the texture, and who knows whether that will you know come into my own work. You never know, because um, I am knitting with some of the threads I work. So you just never know. You know, I think it's always open to, to always keep your mind open about um, exploring other other techniques and, and, you know, you never know how it, how it will come into the rest of your work. Yeah. And you're doing some weavings as well. Yes, actually I'm enjoying that. I'm, I'm weaving with our elegance of thread that I have and, um, 
just incorporating some of the applique images as weaved images and uh, that's that's a fun new thing that I'm doing as well. Weaving has been so hot recently. Weaving, mm-hmm. and, yeah, it's fascinating to see that coming back. And um, and then you're teaching your daughters to sew, um, yes. making some projects with lazy girl bag patterns. Um, and these are this is a, a kind of a brand of um, of different bag sewing patterns. Yes, yeah, and it's been a good experience because normally. Uh, Every project I tackle is a very lengthy project, and I always think, you know, oh, we need to learn lots, so let's do this big project. Um, but they taught me to step back a little bit and teach them to, you know, put something together in an afternoon where they can feel really a lot of gratitude when they've finished and happy that, you know, it's, it's something they can use. But we've incorporated some ribbons and different things on some of these little bags. Um, and they've really enjoyed it because they're um, just building their sewing skills on the machine right now. Right. Okay. So they didn't do a lot of sewing when they were kids. No, you can believe it. <laughs> they should have. But, you know, sometimes when mom does it, then there's no need to do it. And, of course, school, they didn't do much of it in school either, um, you know, when they were growing up. So um, they're still learning to be confident on the sewing machine. Yeah, I know. They, there's not a lot of sewing in school here either. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then whatever mom does, right? <laughs> it's like. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Um, but thankfully, my kids have taken some sewing classes, um, but not from me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so well, they do true. know how to sew. But yes, I know. Yeah. It's funny how that is. Um, it's like the, what do they say about like the cobbler's kids have no shoes? Or <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, then well. later on, they say, I don't know why I didn't do this, you know, when I was younger, because I could have learned so much. Right. It's <laughs> and okay. that's like my other son that's not in the business. He's actually a fashion designer uh, in New York. And when he went to school, he said, I don't know why I didn't learn to sew on the sewing machine, you know, all those years I was at home, because he had to learn when he got to college. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's funny that he became a fashion designer, though. Yep. So he's he's not in your business, but he's in the business in some way. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, Sue, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walsh Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you. Yeah. And you've been listening to the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, whileshenaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was brought to you by Stitches Midwest. Exclusively for While She Naps listeners, you can get 20% off Stitches Midwest 2018 classes and events by visiting stitches.events slash Midwest and entering the coupon code Midwest18WSN at checkout. With stimulating classes and shopping for all, including knitters, crocheters, weavers, and sewers and quilters, and others interested in all things yarn and fabric, you won't want to miss this amazing show. You can learn more at stitches.events slash Midwest. Thank you so much, Stitches Midwest. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.